Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for a spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. You can find out more about me and my work as an intuitive guide and spiritual teacher at karenhager.com. So, got uh, got negative thoughts? Are you dealing with depression or anxiety? I feel like a lot of us, me included, struggle with maintaining optimal mental and emotional health, especially in these times when it might feel like a new stressor lurks around every corner. Dr. Greg Hammer is my guest today, and he says that with daily practice, the brain can be rewired to combat negative thoughts. And he's developed a three-minute method for that. He's here to share that and a lot more with you today. So are you ready to meet him? Greg Hammer, MD, is a professor at Stanford University School of Medicine, a pediatric intensive care physician, pediatric anesthesiologist, mindfulness expert, and the author of Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. You can find out more about Greg and his work at greghammermd.com. Greg, welcome to Out of the Fog. Great to be with you, Karen. So does it seem to you that we are in in more of a mess mentally and emotionally than we have been in years past? Is that just me getting old or are, is it weirder? No, I think uh, it is absolutely true. I think most people who have been around the block a few times or, you know, after uh, been around at least for five or six decades would agree with you that the last several years have probably represented the most stressful time in our memory. And yes, I think it's a conspiracy of factors that weighs heavily on all of us, um, some of them tailing off and some of them still going strong. And, uh, you know, with our politics being so divisive and the artificial intelligence looming and probably, in fact, making us even more divided because so much information gets pushed to us that we agree with. And that uh, drives us further apart in many cases. Um, and then, of course, you know, war going on in the world in, the, in Ukraine. People just are so uh, globally disturbed by what's going on uh, around the world. And I don't think there's ever been a time like this. And then, of course, in the wake of COVID, where things are still disrupted from from the two to three year period that we've just experienced. So yes, I think this is just an extreme uh, time in our history. Something that I have noticed in the people who I get to talk to is that there's a, a, f a heightened distrust, certainly, of everyone and everything and and a heightened distrust of ourselves. We're not listening to our bodies. We're not listening to what I would call listening to spirit, not listening to our intuition. And I've also noticed um, that we are much quicker to be reactive instead of being responsive. And I know that those that those things, not knowing who to trust and being extra reactive, also are related to stress and anxiety and and burnout. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely, because <clears throat> chronic stress is simply the mental and physical fatigue that we experience. Um, rather, burnout is that fatigue, mental and physical, that we experience related to chronic stress. And so 
yes, we're all a little bit burned out, I think, to varying degree. I think that, again, as we've just discussed, this has been an unusually stressful time for most people and continues to be. And so <clears throat> when we're stressed, one thing that happens is our our hormones are out of whack. Our stress hormones are increased, and that includes epinephrine or adrenaline in the body and also cortisol, which elevates our blood pressure and our blood sugar. Um, so our heart rate's increased and our, our blood pressure, blood sugar, and, and other hormones are out of whack. And this really puts us in the sympathetic nervous system domain of fight or flight. And so of course we're on edge, of course we're wary. And of course our negativity bias that we all have as part of the way our brains are wired is exaggerated. So for all those reasons and more, many of us are much more reactive than usual and much less patient, much less compassionate toward others and probably most notably ourselves. What, how do you define then happiness? Because it is, it seems like happiness can't just be the absence of those things. No more reactivity, no more stress, no more anxiety, because those, those things will be there. How do you define what happiness is? I often refer to one of my heroes, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, who's, you know, perhaps at least one of the founders of mindfulness. And he defined mindfulness as awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. And I think that also could be the definition of happiness. It's awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. So we can look at those three elements of awareness of the present moment on purpose and non-judgmentally individually. Awareness of the present moment is acknowledgement that the present is where happiness resides. If we think about the happiest times we've had, say we're walking through a forest, we appreciate the lovely feel and the soles of our feet of the soft bed of pine needles on the forest floor and that little bit of extra oxygen in the air from the trees around us, the majesty of the, the trees, the sunlight filtering through the canopy a hundred feet above. You know, when we're in that moment, in the present moment, we're not thinking about the list of things we have to do tomorrow or a uh, shame about something we said or did yesterday. We were just right in that moment and that's where happiness resides. So I would posit that whenever we're truly experiencing the present moment, we are happy. And I think if we think of our other happiest times, that will be confirmed. On purpose is the next thing. And that's the I and gain is intention. Why do we have to be aware of the present moment on purpose? Why aren't we just aware of it without having to be purposeful? And the reason is that our brains have become wired over tens of thousands of years of evolution to be rather negative. So we have a negativity bias. We tend to hold on to the negative and forget the positive. And so for anyone who's listening who relates to that, please don't think it's your dirty little secret. It's something that we all share. It's the way our brains are wired. Uh, we tend to have negative thoughts, even when we first get out of bed in the morning. If we have an ache or a pain, we focus on that and we sort of set aside the sunlight that might be filtering into the room and all the wonderful things that we have 
to look forward to during the day if we're if we're so inclined. We focus on the negative. Somebody wrote that 20% of our thoughts are positive and 80% of our thoughts are negative. Wow. Which I think is kind of interesting. So, you know, our brains are wired to be negative and also to be very distracted, to overthink in maladaptive ways, I believe, the future and the past. We overthink the past and with our negativity bias, we generate a lot of shame and regret and depression. And we overthink the future in ways that are beyond adaptive planning and putting bread on the table, looking forward to good times and so on. We overthink the future and with our negativity bias, we generate a lot of fear and anxiety, we catastrophize. And so again, anxiety and depression are sort of, you know, we are predisposed to those by the way our brains are hardwired. And so that's why we have to intentionally rewire our brains. And fortunately, our brains have this wonderful quality called neuroplasticity. So if we have a plan, if we're purposeful, if we're intentional, we do have the ability to rewire the way we think and convert this negative way and distracted way into being more positive and present. And then the other third component of Dr. Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness, awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. And, and that's a key thing. It's the end and gain is non-judgment. And our minds are always comparing things, judging, and we assign good or bad to most things that we experience. And that doesn't really help us. It doesn't serve a purpose. It sort of veils the world according to our own biases and often negativity. So we tend to judge things negatively. We can learn to drop the judgments. We need to discern, but we don't have to judge things as good or bad. And so I think that's a third ingredient to happiness. So that idea that we can rewire our brains is interesting to me because part of, for me, just speaking as myself, part of what anxiety does to me is to say, it will always be this way. I can never change it. How, how can I rewire my brain? This is how I'm wired. It's always good. And so that idea that we can rewire our brains is interesting to me. And it makes me wonder, it doesn't feel like it's something that could be done all at once. It feels like it's something that asks for my intentionality and my commitment and my practice at it. Absolutely. It takes practice. Um, you know, I, again, our brains are wired the way they are based on tens of thousands of years of evolution. Uh, so for example, I, I can imagine uh, early Homo sapiens 100,000 years ago, keeping the fire going in their cave and having a lot of concern that there might be a saber-toothed tiger lurking outside the mouth of the cave. And so that the wariness and preparation for catastrophe that was always present in their consciousness became adaptive in a way. It, it allowed them to live longer. And since they were so aware and had a heightened level of awareness of hazards that were close, they could live longer, they could procreate more. And the genes that code for those properties were spread in the population. And here we are today, now those qualities of negativity and wariness are no longer adaptive for most of us. Most of us don't live with a constant danger lurking that way. But the good news is because our brains have this wonderful quality called neuroplasticity, we can 
rewire our brains, but because they developed into their current hardwired format over such a long period of time, we're not going to change the way we think overnight. But we don't need to. We can take baby steps if we're intentional, if we have a practice, if we have a plan. And as long as we're making progress, we're going to feel much better. And, and our optimism, when we realize that we're on the right path, begets more positivity, more positive change. And so this is a can be a self-propelling positive feedback loop that benefits us. And so all we need to do is really get started. And, you know, that's why I have proposed a, a practice that's daily that can be as little as three minutes. So nobody can say they don't have time to begin the process of rewiring their brains. So can you tell us a little bit about this process? Because I'm, I'm excited to hear how I can spend three minutes and begin to make these changes. Absolutely. So the, the title of the first book begins with the word gain and G-A-I-N uh, are capitalized and they stand for what I think are the four pillars of happiness, which are gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. So the gain practice, best to do it in the morning. We get out of bed, we open the blinds, take in some sunlight, hopefully, or, or at least some kind of filtered light. And we do our morning hygiene and then we find a comfortable place to sit, ideally in a quiet place. Um, meditation doesn't have to involve 30 minutes of sitting in an uncomfortable position and with the effort to banish all thoughts from our, our minds, quite the opposite. So we're just going to sit for a short period of time. We're going to make ourselves comfortable and we're going to actually guide our thoughts. So we're not going to try to be without thoughts. We're going to guide our thoughts first to the breath. So we slow the breath down. We, we have intentional, deep breathing. So we slow the ins inspiration down to a count of three. We hold it for a count of three. We release it without effort slowly to a count of four. And when we slow our breath down like this, we actually activate the parasympathetic nervous system. So we talked about stress and the sympathetic nervous system and adrenaline and cortisol. When we breathe deeply and slowly, we actually activate the opposite side of our nervous system, which slows our heart rate, lowers our blood pressure, lowers the adrenaline and cortisol in our blood. So we do this slow, intentional breath. We focus our attention on slowing it down to a count of three on the in-breath, holding to a count of three, exhaling to a count of four. And then we just begin to contemplate that for which we're grateful. The G in gain is gratitude. And we know that gratitude is intrinsically part of happiness because we know that one can be poor and happy, one could be physically challenged and happy, but you can't imagine somebody who's ungrateful and happy. So we just think about the things for which we're grateful. We're grateful for this day. Uh, it beats the alternative that is breathing and sitting today right now, as opposed to not being here at all. And we think about the loved ones in our life, our, our relative health, uh, that we live in a relatively safe place that applies to most of us. So we all have much for which to be grateful and we can have our own sort of checklist of gratitude. And then we transition to acceptance. And here we're really acknowledging that there is pain in life and it's intrinsically part of life as much as joy is part of life. So we take something painful. For me, it usually comes to mind that I lost my son at the age of 29, six years ago. So that thought and that experience and that sensation 
I actually focus on and I bring that experience closer and closer, opening the chest, opening the heart, bringing that experience inside the heart, nurturing it, enveloping it, sitting with it. And generally we can ask ourselves the question, can I live with this pain forever? And at some point the answer will be yes. And that means we've accepted it. And generally we find that it's not as bad as we thought when we were trying not to think about it. That is resisting it. There's a formula in the book, suffering equals pain times resistance. So the pain is there. If we resist it, we suffer more. So herein we do the opposite. We, we focus on accepting it. We relax into it. We, we bring it into our heart intentionally. And then we transition to the I am gain, which we've discussed a bit, it's intention. We might focus for five or 10 seconds on what we're experiencing right now. So our intention is to experience the present moment. We can actually focus our attention on the breath, but also perhaps the pressure that the chair is exerting against our body, the tingling on the soles of our feet. Maybe we're hearing something outside, a bird chirping, an airplane going by in the distance. So we train ourselves to start really appreciating what's happening right now. And then we also consider that life can be very positive and we think about the positive things in life. So we think about, again, this is related to gratitude. These four elements are all interrelated, but we focus our attention on, on the positive and we sort of guide our thoughts to the, to the bounty that we have in life. And then we move to non-judgment finally, the end and gain. And one exercise might be to imagine an image of the earth, one of these beautiful NASA images where the earth is apparently suspended in space. And what appears to us is that although it's a beautiful planet, it's intrinsically neither good nor bad. The earth is just a planet. It simply is what it is. It's neither good nor bad. And then it's only logical for me to think that I am just a person. I'm just the human being that I am. I'm neither good nor bad. I simply am the person that I am. I simply am. And we may repeat I am as we again focus on the breath, slowly taking it in, pausing and slowly releasing it without effort. And we repeat this slow breath and focusing on the breath. And then we slowly open our eyes and we're ready to go out in the world. And really, although that may have taken more than three minutes for me to go through, it's really something that can be done in three minutes. That's beautiful. And it feels, each part of that feels like it has a lot of room for expansion so that I could find myself in a different place in that exercise every day. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And and the beauty of it is, Karen, that you know, you, you've just done something good for yourself. It, it may have taken three or four or five minutes, but you started the day off doing something really good for your own mental and spiritual health. And that really kind of kickstarts the day. And, and not only that, but what happens is when you do this gain contemplative practice, then you go out, you may have a cup of coffee, you may go out in, in the world and you're driving to work and somebody who's driving in the lane to the right of you kind of cuts you off a bit, doesn't use their turn signal. You start to make all these judgments about that person. Uh, they're a bad driver, they're inconsiderate, et cetera. And then a little light bulb goes off and you remind yourself that you just did your gain meditation and you focused on non-judgment. And so you kind of have a little bit of a laugh to yourself. Yes, the old habits kind of emerge, but let that go, have a little laugh and drop the judgment. 
And you get a little hit of dopamine when you do that. You actually get a good feeling. You know, you may be walking by somebody and you've looked at them from the back and you've made these judgments about their appearance. A light bulb goes off. You, you remind yourself to drop the judgment. You walk past them and look at them and smile and they smile back. And instead of having this sort of negative sensation about the interaction, you actually have a positive, a little boost. And so the beauty is that you can let yourself know that you're actually rewiring your brain because when you sort of have the old habits emerging of being ungrateful or resisting or just lapsing into an unintentional way of living or being judgmental, a light bulb goes off. You appreciate that you've done that. You smile and you just sort of put your thoughts back on the right path. And the more you do this, the easier it becomes to reroute your thoughts. You're not resisting your thoughts. You're simply acknowledging what they are and you're taking a different path. And this is the process of, of taking advantage of neuroplasticity, of rewiring our brain. You're listening to Out of the Fog, and I'm talking with Dr. Greg Hammer. He is the author of Gain Without Pain, the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals. You can find out more about Greg and his work at greghammermd.com. That's G-R-E-G-H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D.com, greghammermd.com. You also talk in the book about three areas of support for our physical and emotional well-being. And I know, again, from my own experience, that these are three of the things that I ignore. What are these three things that I've been <laughs> that I've been ignoring? Well, I think that we have to take care of our physical body, right? And, you know, certainly as a physician, I have a keen interest in that. Um, in my critical care practice for children, I'm keenly interested in their nutrition, which often gets ignored, much to their detriment. But the same applies to all of us. I mean, we have to focus on our diet and I, and also on our sleep and exercise. So sleep, exercise, and nutrition, I think, are the three legs of the tripod that supports our physical well-being. And when we're taking care of ourselves physically, we, we've taken a giant step forward toward doing so for our mental and spiritual well-being as well. And on the other hand, when we're not attending to good sleep hygiene and we get you know, we don't sleep well, we've violated several principles of good sleep hygiene and haven't gotten enough rest, we're fatigued during the day, then we tend to skip our exercise uh, regimen. And we also tend to pick up sugary and fatty so-called comfort foods that give us a temporary boost, which are not healthy for us, and we crash sometime later. So these three elements of sleep, exercise, and nutrition are as interwoven and interdependent as the gain elements. And they represent really what we need to do for our physical well-being. And, you know, as, again, the good news is we can change our habits for the better and just feel, feel healthier and healthier rather than be distracted by our fatigue, by, you know, feeling out of shape, not exercising, kind of kicking ourselves for not eating well. We can, we can really rewrite the ship. So what are some small steps that listeners can make when they realize that those three are out of balance? Because this feels to me to also be a place where we can apply those principles that you were teaching. We can be present with ourselves. We can try to be non-judgmental and take action. Absolutely. So, you know, for example, sleep hygiene, it's, it's, it's not rocket science. 
Um, we know that focusing on our screens just proximate to our bedtime is not good. It's not just the blue light, but I think it's the content of what we're looking at. So put the screens away, our phones, our tablets, our laptops, an hour before we go to sleep. Try to have a regular bedtime and wake time, even on the weekends. And uh, you know that may sound undesired, but actually it's, it's kind of nice and it does help with our sleep. Um, recognize that alcohol may help us pass out, but we're not getting the full restorative benefit of sleep. So, you know, I would say alcohol proximate to bedtime is to be discouraged. Caffeine has a very long half-life. So that afternoon cup of coffee is something you have at one or two o'clock, even is like having half a cup of coffee at, at five or six or seven o'clock in the evening and, and a quarter of a cup of coffee at midnight. So that would certainly keep me awake. So I've stopped drinking that afternoon cup of coffee for the benefit of my sleep. Um, you know, keep your bedroom cool and dark if you can. Exercise, I, I mean, we could spend an hour talking about that, but basically some is better than none. So if you're at your computer quite a lot for work, get up and walk around, uh, get out and walk around the block a few times. You'll see neighbors, you'll have social interaction, you'll enjoy nature and you'll have a physical benefit as well. Um, diet, nutrition, you know, I, I would say simply consider moving more toward a plant, a more plant-based diet, although occasional red meat and other uh, uh, animal products is not necessarily unhealthy as long as it's not overdone. Um, you know, I think I think we know what to do with nutrition. Avoid sugary things, things with corn syrup and other processed carbohydrates and processed foods in general. Um, more fruits and vegetables, lots of colors in our diet, those sorts of things. So I I think most of us kind of know what to do. We could use a little bit of guidance, but it's a matter of really being intentional and purposeful about it. And, and we can all get ourselves on the right track. Well, and it's that helpful reminder too, that it is doable. Um, I, sometimes when we're talking about kind of self-improvement stuff like this, the focus is on, well, you haven't done it and shame on you. And it's <laughs> what I hear you saying is that the focus here, here's what you can do. Here's how you can come into more loving alignment with yourself and with that cup of coffee that you're now not going to have. And I think, I feel like that's an important shift because there's so much blame that we, yes, we're judgmental about other people and other drivers and other, but we also are really judgmental about ourselves and our choices. And, and sometimes even more so when we realize that we're out of balance. Oh, absolutely. And, and just in general, we're, it's well-known and and well studied and documented that we're most harshly judgmental and critical of ourselves. So I love the cognitive behavioral exercise of next time we we find that we're really down on ourselves or criticizing ourselves, we're feeling ashamed of something we did or we said or we didn't do. Imagine that we're talking to a good friend and the the friend is in the exact same situation that we find ourselves in, mm -hmm. and ask ourselves, would we be criticizing them? Would we be judging them because they did or didn't do a particular thing that we're criticizing ourselves for. And of course we wouldn't. And that just reminds ourselves that we're really hypercritical of ourselves in ways that are totally irrational. And we're all like this again, you know, it's our negativity bias. It's our distraction with the past. So we focus on things we said or did or didn't do that we regret. And, and so, yeah, I think that's a great little cognitive behavioral exercise, but yeah, it's well known that we're, our own worst critic. And, and again, we can rewire the way we think toward a more positive way of, of self-reflection as well. 
Now, I know that the clock is catching us here. What would you most like listeners to take away from this conversation? What do you most want them to know? Well, I think a couple of things that are closely related. One is we all have this negativity. We all have this overthinking of the past and future. So please, whoever's listening, don't feel as though this is your dirty little secret. We we all have brains that are wired this way. And the good news is our brains are uh, have neuroplasticity. And if we have intention, we can start to turn things around and move toward a more positive way of thinking and being. Thank you so much for talking with us today. This was really fun. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Wonderful to be with you. I've been talking with Dr. Greg Hammer. He is the author of Gain Without Pain, the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals. You can find out more about Greg and his work at greghammermd.com. That's G-R-E-G-H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D.com, greghammermd.com. And of course, you're always welcome over at karenhager.com. It's a great place to find out about upcoming classes and events. You can even book a private session with me there if you're so inclined. And if you follow me on Instagram, where I'm Fog City Psychic, you'll find more out of the fog content and non out of the fog content, like beautiful things that I see on my walks around the neighborhood with Maisie the dog. I took Dr. Hammer's um, advice um, to heart a few weeks ago and have changed my bedtime or my uh, awaking time to be the same every day, whether it's the weekday or a weekend, whether I'm working that day or not working that day. That's given me more time for the most wonderful, mostly peaceful walks around the block with Maisie the dog. And you'll see some photographs from those morning walks on Instagram where I'm Fog City Psychic. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. <laughs>